Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And now let's join our guest speaker. Vacation. Uh, some of you may know that. Keep them uh, lifted up in prayer. This is the season for vacations, so you may know somebody else. Just pray for people. I ask you to pray for my wife. Uh, her mother is coming tonight to Lynchburg. And her mother is moving to California, um, San Diego. And so Debbie is going to drive across the country on Monday with her mother to bring her mother and the vehicle to San Diego. So you can pray for her, their, their travel. You can pray for me as I attempt the household uh, duties with work for the next nine days, so appreciate that. Uh, today's message is how beautiful is the body of Christ. And I, was, I had another message already done weeks ago, and I do all my messages on legal pads. And then I type them into a computer. I lost the legal pad, the whole message. and I could, I, We searched the entire house, could not find it. I'm like, God... And uh, I said, well, maybe I'm supposed to do something else. So I really, really believe God wants me to talk about how beautiful His church is. Okay. Um, I want to start off asking you some questions. I'm a teacher, so I have three quiz questions for you. Okay. Uh, rhetorical questions. You don't need to shout out any answers. Uh, question number one. Um, do you have to go to church? Or did you get to go to church? Okay, do you have to go to church or did you get to go to church? Question number one. Question number two. Do you come to church primarily because of a good children's program or youth ministry or something like that? That's more the primary reason why you come to church is for your children. Question number three. If you work as a church volunteer, uh, could be pastor, elder, children's church worker, sound booth person. Is coming to church to you like another work day? Just another work day. Okay. All right, three questions. The reason um, I think God wants me to do this message is to encourage us. Because we get tired, don't we? We can get down. We can get disillusioned with the church. We've been hurt by other church people. And don't we expect church people to be a little more perfect than maybe people in the world? Am I right? Yeah. Well, I mean, you got the Spirit of God. Why aren't you perfect? Uh, well, you know, I still live in this body. So, I really want to give you some times of refreshing today about the church who we are as the Bride of Christ. I want to encourage you today. And I'm going to be giving you a perspective of the church as God sees the church. I'm going to give you a heavenly picture of church today. Next Sunday, I'm going to bring the church back down to earth and we're going to kind of explore maybe some of the difficulties in the church, but why this church is still beautiful even though there's difficulties. Okay, So let's get started here. I um, want to first answer a couple, qu couple more questions I want to explore with you. Where did we come from? And I think it's helpful. A lot of times don't... I mean, you guys take for granted just kind of sitting here in a sense. I mean, you're in a nice building. There's somebody giving the Word of God. Your children are taken care of over there. Right? We take it for granted. We can take it for granted. Okay. So I think what can help us not take church for granted is to remember where have we come from, right? Where have we come from? Um, there's an illustration I want to give you from Ezekiel. I saw it up on the PowerPoint earlier. I guess that was for me. But this illustration from Ezekiel is an illustration about uh, the Old Testament saints living in Jerusalem. Okay, I'm going to give it to you. It doesn't really apply to the church but I like it, so I'm going to borrow it and apply it to the church. Okay, So this is where did the nation of Israel and Jerusalem come from. 
Ezekiel 16. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, make known to Jerusalem her abominations, and say, Thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem, Your origin and your birth are from the land of the Canaanite. Your father was an Amorite, and your mother was a Hittite. What was Jerusalem beginning? Pagan. Pagan, right? Okay. As for your birth, on the day you were born, your navel cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water for cleansing. You were not rubbed with salt or even wrapped in cloths. No eye looked with pity on you to do any of these things for you, to have compassion on you. Rather, you were thrown out into the open field, for you were abhorred on the day you were born. And when I passed by and saw you squirming in your blood, I said to you while you were in your blood, live. Yes, I said to you while you were in your blood, live. That's pretty graphic, isn't it? I mean, a baby thrown into a field covered in blood? That's Israel. That's Jerusalem. That's how they began. See, the nations of the world hate Israel, right? I mean, that's the picture. There was a pagan beginning for Israel. And if God hadn't spoken the greatest word in the entire Scripture, what is it? Live. They were dying. And God came by and said, Live. You will be my people. You will be a nation. You will, be, you will testify to the earth that I am God. And it happened, right? So, as a church, okay, that was for Israel. As the church, I'd like to kind of borrow that illustration um, for us. That baby was alive. Okay, we were dead. We're dead. Okay? Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. Let's take a, take a look here. What Paul says, he says, hey guys, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Okay, you're dead. So the picture I'd like to take is not of the child that was alive. The church was an aborted fetus thrown out in the field in its blood. And God came by and said, you're dead in your trespasses. We're dead. What else does it say about us? Verse 2, in which you were formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, right? We're, we're slaves to the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, um, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Of course, we're called sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So what are these children of wrath? Well, we have a death sense, a a sense of judgment on us. So, in other words, when we die, we will actually have to pay for our sins against God. We'll have to be thrown into a lake of fire and burn forever and ever. Okay, it doesn't sound good, does it? That's who we were. were. We're stuck in Satan's domain. We're in the kingdom of darkness. We're in the kingdom of this world. We're a fetus thrown into a field full of blood, dead. Okay, that's, that's where we came from. Now, who, um, who got saved as a teenager on up, so to speak? Raise your hand. Teenager on up. Let me just see what's going on here. Okay, at least half of you can remember what it was like before you were saved, right? And you know, I was reading a book a couple weeks ago. It's called uh, At the Mercy of the Sea by a guy named John Kretschmer, secular author. I like sea stories, so every now and then I'll read a sea story. Um, it's about a hurricane and, uh, in the South Caribbean. And the hurricane was going due east. Well, all hurricanes always turn north. But this hurricane was going east. So this guy is writing a story of three men, three separate men in, in sailing in the Caribbean, and they're sailing towards they're sailing towards the path of the hurricane. Well, they think it's going to turn north, but it doesn't turn north. Okay, so these three men are basically solo sailing, and they're stuck in a Category Four hurricane. 
and his book is about that. And I was reading his book. He's telling this story, their individual stories, and he's talking about a lot of them, their, their marriages have failed. They're searching for meaning, purpose, and significance in life. And they're finding it, they're finding it on the ocean. I mean, if they could just sail and get away from the difficulties of life, then... And, you know, as he's, as he's sharing this, I mean, they're, you know, they're stuck in bars. Um, you know, their wives, their, their marriages are failing, like I said. I, all of a sudden, I, I was just overcome with compassion because I lived that life. I knew exactly what he was talking about. He was talking about me. Before I got saved, I felt literally like I was floating in a sea of meaninglessness. You know, vanity, 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 says the preacher from Ecclesiastes. That was my life. I would go to parties in college and I would be, de- I would be depressed going to a party in college because I wasn't saved. I knew it was useless. But there was nothing else to do, so that's what I did. And so I'd go, I would drink and do stupid things. I'd go home, depressed, wake up the next night. There was nothing else to do. I mean, I studied, but... So I really could relate to this author. And I thought, you know, I'm going to write him a letter. And I've done that before. There's another, another book I did that also, Sea Story. But I looked the guy up. He's online. He invites comments about his book. He gives his email address out. So I emailed him, and I said, I really appreciate your story. I said, it was great. He honored these people that died in this hurricane. Is was, was the whole purpose of the story, to give honor. And so I shared that with him. I said, you really blessed me, encouraged me. I said, the Scripture says to show honor to whom honor is due. You did that. And I said, I could really relate to your, uh, your character's quest for meaning and purpose. And so I, I shared my testimony with him. Uh, just briefly what I shared with you, plus some more. And then I shared with him how he could be saved. I mean, very clearly. told him he was a sinner just like me. And he, needed Jesus Christ, he needs Jesus Christ. And I just gave him the Gospel and really encouraged him to seek the Lord. I haven't, haven't heard back from him, but I pray for him. Okay, so if we review where we've been, is it possible that that can give us some compassion for where we are now, right? Because honestly, I, I, was, I became a Christian 30 years ago, something like that. I mean, you kind of lose track of time. So it's easy to kind of forget those things, but I don't want to forget those things. I want to know where I've been delivered from and what I've been brought to. Because what I've been brought to, I can pass on to somebody else that was in my situation 30 years ago. So let's keep reading. God didn't leave us as an abortive fetus, did He? Verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive, there's the live word again, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why, Paul? Why did He do this? So that in the ages to come, He might show us the surpassing riches of His grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Jesus. Now, I said live is, is the greatest word in the Scripture, but there's two other words that are up there, but God, the conjunction, right? If there was no fall in the Garden of Eden, there would be no conjunction, no need for a conjunction, but. But God. See, we're, if we're in a field in our blood, we need somebody, we need a but God who is rich in mercy and came to us and made us alive. He spoke. He said, live, basically. I mean, did you save yourself? Were you born saved? If you think you were born saved, you're deceived. You weren't born saved. You were born a dead fetus. Okay? God made you alive. Isn't that encouraging? That's awesome. And, I mean, who can understand the magnitude of what Christ did for us, right? I mean, sending His Son Jesus, dying on a cross, paying the price for our sins so that we could be forgiven. 
So where were we? We were dead in sins. The scripture says without hope and without God in the world. Another scripture. We had no hope. When I was in my 20s, unsaved, there was no hope. I was just running around, searching for significance, depressed, discouraged, and a wrath with the wrath of God on my head. Ha! But God, but God was rich in mercy toward me. So, that's where we came from. So, who are we? Who are we? That's what I want to talk about today. Ephesians 1 4, we go backwards a little bit. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. Who are we? Chosen. We're chosen. Illustration that came to me for chosen is this. You guys remember back in grade school, uh, PE class? You know, the teacher, the teacher would uh, choose two team captains, and uh, everyone would be, all the students would be lined up against the wall, right? And who were the first people chosen? They were the best athletes, right? Who were the last people chosen? God have mercy on them. <laughs> I mean, they were the shamed ones, chosen last, right? I mean, fortunately, I was, I was always a pretty good athlete. So back then, I didn't really think about the implications of that little system. I think if I, were to, if I were a PE teacher, I would do it a little differently now, like maybe pick a number or something. But, I mean, you, the shame and the, you know, being chosen last, I mean, it would be terrible. We weren't chosen last. We were chosen first. You were chosen. First fruits. God chose you. It wasn't last. It's not that P.E. illustration. Chosen before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before Him. That's incredible. To be chosen by God. To go from a field in blood with maggots and worms to being chosen by God. Right? Making comparison there. What else were we? We were baptized into Christ's body. Turn to uh, 1 Corinthians 12.13. For by one Spirit you are all baptized into one body. Whether Jew or Greek, whether slave or free, we were all made to drink of one Spirit. So we're baptized into Christ's body. That's a little fuzzy, isn't it? What's that mean? Verse 27, now you are, you are Christ's body and individually members of it. Verse 27, so what is this whole body thing? I mean, can you guys really understand? Am I, am I a part of Jesus Christ physically? I don't think so. I'm not Jesus, right? But yet, I am a member of His body. So what does that mean? I don't know. I mean, I think what it means is that I've been joined to Christ. Right? And somehow, I'm seated in heavenly places. How can that be? Well, if I'm in Christ, then I'm where Christ is. Christ is in heaven. But we know Christ is not just in heaven. He's with us here right now, right? He's there. God is everywhere. In other words, isn't, there's this kind of a mystical part of this being in Christ thing. But does it lessen the impact of it? No. The point is this. I've been placed, I've been taken from the kingdom of darkness and placed into the kingdom of His Son in Christ Jesus. Okay, so I am unified, I am united with Christ. I'm in Christ, spiritually, somehow. I don't understand it. Christ lives in me because I have the Holy Spirit living in this body, right? I've told you guys a number of times, you need to look in the mirror and see Christ in you, the hope of glory. When you look in the mirror, do you see Jesus Christ in you? Can you imagine it? Because that's what's going on. If we really thought that Christ lived in us, I think we would probably live differently, wouldn't we? I might not have argued with my wife yesterday. I might not have gotten upset with my kids the other day, right? If, if, if I really was aware that 
Jesus Christ, the King of kings, Lord of lords, who created the heavens and the earth, actually lives right in here. Wouldn't we act differently? We're in Christ. We're His members of His body. In fact, it's, it's kind of hard to understand, so the Apostle Paul had to give us an illustration. Hey, some of you guys are ears. Some of you guys are noses. Some of you are spleens. Ew. Some of you are kidneys. Gross. Right? The, the outward parts are the beautiful ones, right? My, my biceps or my beautiful smile. And, but if that kidney goes down, your beautiful smile goes down with the kidney, right? <laughs> you need that goofy, mushy, gushy kidney. But that's who we are. We're a body with all these different types of members called to function together. It's incredible. We're in Christ. We're His body. We're chosen. We're His body. We're His bride. 2 Corinthians 11.2 Here's what Paul said, For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband so that to Christ I may present you as a pure virgin. Okay, so Paul wants to present the church as a pure virgin to Jesus. So that would make us like a bride, right? Yeah, we're the bride of Christ. So Paul gave his life for the church. I mean, he literally gave his life for the church. The guy was stoned, shipwrecked, beat up, abandoned. Because he loved the bride so much. He had this jealousy. It's incredible. So we are a bride. People, actually, people in this movement, just a teeny, we're a teeny tiny microcosm of the universal church, right? Just a tiny part of what's going on. So what's the deal with this bride thing? Well, if you know the uh, wedding ceremony, the biblical wedding ceremony of the Jews it can help us understand our position as the church. And it's real easy. Just remember three C's. The first C is um, contract. The second C is consummation. And the third C is celebration. Okay, that was a Jewish wedding ceremony. So contract. So the father of the bride and the father of the bridegroom would enter into a contract, negotiate the bride price and a dowry, right? Okay, so... When did we enter a contract? When we became born again, we entered into a contract with God, right? The new covenant isn't a covenant of contract. So now, okay, we're in the contract to be the bride of the Lamb. Okay, second C is consummation. The bride and her party would wait for the bridegroom to come. And when he came, they would consummate the marriage. Okay? And then after they consummated the marriage, they would, he would take her back to uh, a home he had prepared for her to have the wedding celebration. Okay? So right now, the church as the bride, that's where we're at. We are waiting for the bridegroom to come back, consummate the marriage, and take us to the wedding feast. That's pretty cool. Do you remember in John 14.3 what Jesus said? It's a pretty amazing statement. Jesus said, If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to Myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So, you see how we were taken from a position of an enemy of God to a position of what, what greater privilege is there for a king than to have a queen, right? I mean, let me say it this way. The queen is highly privileged to be married to the king, right? That's incredible to be a queen because the king is sovereign and the king rules and reigns everything and the king, everything he does is in a sense condescending because every, everything is lower than the king, right? But yet the king has condescended to choose a queen. Here we are. 
Take a look around, Cornerstone Queen. You know, it's funny, I was thinking, um, think of the person that's wounded you the most. It's, it's, it's either your family or somebody in the church, probably. Think of that person, and if they're saved, you're going to be queening with them for all of eternity. That person that irritates you, you're going to be serving with them in the kingdom of God. Isn't that cool? You and them, side by side. Can you see Jesus putting, putting us side by side, working with that person just to get the victory? <laughs> I don't know. I'm probably, I'm, I'm guessing right now. Okay, what are we? Who are we? So we're the bride of Christ, right? We're the body of Christ. We're chosen. We are the light of the world. We are salt in the world. We are the salt and light of the world. And you know, how many times have you heard, you guys have been saved for 10, 20, 30 years, you've heard that. It's it's almost cliche and trite. It it almost doesn't have meaning. So let me just, let me just uh, look at it from a different facet. Okay, and see if I can give it a fresh perspective. You know, when Adam and Eve sinned, sin entered the world and and it was spread, right, from mother to baby. And, you know, how was sin spread? Uh, I, I don't know how it was spread, but let me just take a guess. Let's say that sin is like um, spiritual AIDS, right? So if you're a mother and you give birth, I mean, if you're high on crack, you've heard of crack babies? Right? It's passed down through the bloodstream from the mother into the baby. Well, that's how sin is passed down. Um, but let's just say that there's a spiritual AIDS being passed down from mother to child, mother to child. So everyone's born with spiritual AIDS. There's no cure for it. Okay? And you know, God chooses a group of people and says, hey guys, look, um, you know, you're being prepared to be my queen one day and you're a part of my bride and body. I've got this awesome job for you to do. I mean, this is really incredible. What I'm going to give each one of you, I'm going to give you a briefcase, and in it is going to be little vials. And inside those vials is a liquid. And that liquid is the antidote. It's the cure for the spiritual AIDS. And what I want you to do is I want you to fly around the world, and I want you to give it to people and tell them to drink it and it'll heal them. That's what I want you to do. I mean, wow. I mean, my, the king is asking us to do that. I mean, the privilege of doing that. Because what are the state? Do, do we really have a picture of what it means to burn in a lake of fire forever? No. In torment forever? No. I mean, I guess if I, if I were to light a lighter under my hand and just hold it there for a while and, until it starts to smoke and burn... Maybe I'd get, start to get a little picture here. Now, I'm not saying it's a physical burning. I'm just using that as an illustration. If the President of the United States were to say, hey guys, I really need you, I need you, Virgil, to be my Secretary of State, and I need you to go make peace in a strange land. What a privilege and honor for the President to ask you to do a job, right? To be a member of his cabinet? I mean, that's awesome. We're members of God's cabinet entrusted with the gospel to be salt and light in this community. So we're going from dead in our sins, right, and lust of the flesh, to an incredible job to do. Let's do it. And next week I'll, uh, I'll detail, the church is doing the job. Next week I'll detail to encourage you. We are doing the job. There's room for improvement, but God's going to get it done. So we're salt, man. We are light. We, we have the gospel. But you see, it's, it's, it, we, it's cliche. It's, it loses significance and meaning sometimes. Not all the time, but sometimes. Because I'm busy, right? And there's always drama in my household with my kids. And 
I mean, it, it goes on and on. Or maybe I'm just really into making money. Or maybe all these things can keep us from taking our briefcase and doing what the king has asked us to do. You know, when the angels look at us, I've shared this with you before, but it's always worth stirring up. I see people, I see people that struggle, I see people that rejoice, I see people that are bored, I see people that, whatever, right? But when angels see people in the church, that's not what they see. The angels right now, I mean, there's a multitude of angels here, right here. And how many tens of thousands of saints are there in Lynchburg? There's a lot, right? We're in the Bible Belt. I mean, there's just tens of thousands of angels in the Bible, right here, right now, today. Am I the only one preaching the Word of God? Were we the only ones worshiping Christ today? No, right now as I speak, there's how many tens of thousands of people? And then in our country, I mean, as the time zones go forth, we're talking millions of saints, the bride, worshiping, bowing to the king. The word of God going out, people being edified, people being healed, uh, people being saved. Right now, right now, right now. We don't think of that, do we? I was at a meeting years ago in Charlottesville. I'll never forget it. I was falling asleep. (laughs) I was a saint falling asleep at a church meeting, right? Bored. I mean, I was really tired too, but uh, I was falling asleep. And all of a sudden this woman just with this piercing cry, she probably wasn't that loud, but she, she woke me up and I just, she disturbed my slumber. And she said, if you knew what God was doing, you would praise Him. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, oh, wow, I was sleeping. <laughs> but God rebuked me gently, of course. He said, do you know what's going on here? I was like, no, what's going on here? My word is changing people's hearts. I'm saving people. I'm doing miracles. Demons are being cast out. You're sleeping. What are you doing? I don't know. What am I doing? (laughs) You know how many people are getting saved in the earth right now? I don't know. Hundreds of thousands? Maybe more. I don't know. How many people are being healed right now, right as I'm speaking? Thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions? I don't know. Is God still... Does God still have the right to cast out demons today? Or is that not in your theology? People are being set free right now. All over the planet. The angels see this. They see a bride. They see a woman being made pure and holy. They They don't see the color of my shirt and my irritating mannerisms. And they don't see... I mean, that's not what they're looking at. They see what God sees her bride being made ready. That's us. We're being made ready. And it's okay to be made ready. It's okay to blow it, isn't it? Because what did Christ, what's the whole purpose of the cross? Forgiveness. Right? So you blow it. Ask forgiveness. Do it. So where was I here? Angels. Yeah, 1 Peter 1.12. I didn't just make it up. It was revealed to them, that's the Old Testament saints, that they were not serving themselves but you, that's us, the church, in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. I don't know if that's on the PowerPoint, but that's First Peter uh, 1.12. Angels long to look into these things. What things? The gospel. How can Christ, how can their Creator live in an aborted fetus? How can that happen? Angel's like, wait a minute, you were dead in sins. You were dead in trespasses. Now God lives in you. How can that be? Well, He made us alive. He regenerated our spirit. I don't know how how it works, but that's what He did. That's how it works. And angels are like, check it out. Look at the church. Why are they so down on themselves all the time? 
and see how beautiful you are. No wonder John says this. First John, I don't know if this is on your PowerPoint or not. First John 3, 1 John 3.1 Oh, what manner of love is this that we should be called sons of God, children of God. So what do we have to say to all this? Oh, what manner of love is this? What love? The love that Christ has towards us by going to the cross, purchasing, redeeming, allowing us to become a bride. So you should be sitting at your seats. Thank you, God. And I know you are. I mean, every single day. Thank you. I'm just, God, I was in the field just the other day. And now I'm in, seated in heavenly places in Christ. And now I get to bring other people from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your Son. You've chosen me, an ambassador, for the president of the universe? Thank you. Wow. God, help me to do a good job here. I want to talk a little bit about God's love for us as a bride. You know, <clears throat> the Scripture says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Remember, Pastor Willie did a great series of messages on marriage. What if your wife Men, husbands, what if your wife wife asks you, do you love me? And your answer is, yes, I love you. And then she says, why do you love me? And you say, because God told me I'm supposed to love my wife as Christ loved the church. Does that work? Ladies? I mean, the Bible told me to love you. That's why I'm loving you. Really? Does that work? No. Is it biblical? Yes. Why doesn't it work? Because your wife isn't into being loved out of a sense of duty. Your wife wants to know that she is desired. Am I right? Ladies. Right? I mean, she wants to know that her husband has a passion for her. Isn't that cool? Sometimes we in the church as the bride, we know God loves us, right? But sometimes I wonder, do we think that God loves us out of some sense of duty? Or we've sinned, maybe been in a divorce, Maybe you've been in internet pornography. Maybe you've done something, right? And now you feel guilty. And Satan's just beating you up. Well, you might as well just kill yourself. I mean, obviously she left you. You're not worth anything. Why not just die? End it right now, right? It's hard to receive God's love if you traffic in those lies. Would you agree? So, I'd like to... I'd like to explore how much God loves us. Okay. I want to do it. I mean, the cross, the cross is it. It doesn't get better than the cross. But I want to share the cross with you from a different perspective, maybe to help you receive how much God really loves you today, sitting here. <clears throat> Picture a bride and a bridegroom, right? on their wedding night maybe, and the bridegroom is just really infatuated with his bride. Physically, she blows him away. Um, he loves her walk with the Lord. I mean, she has faith. He's really attracted to her faith, um, her personality. I just loves everything about her the way she talks, the way she thinks, the way she does things. I mean, this guy is really smitten with this woman. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Where did that love come from? Where do those desires and passion come from? Are they from Satan or are they from God? Well, I'm not, take, I'm not talking about anything that's twisted and perverted. 
So they came from God. So if that that groom, if that man has that kind of desire and passion for his bride, he got it from God, didn't he? So could I suggest that Jesus would have how much more would Jesus have that passion for his church than that man has for his bride because Jesus created that man. And he created the passion that he has. And he is the author of passion. So God is passionately in love with his bride. With all of our imperfection and beating ourselves up, he loves us. So let me read you a scripture. The most passionate scripture I can find is this in all of the Bible. You ready for it? By the way, you know, I was, I was reading the Song of Songs. That I was, I don't know, a month ago or whatever, and I thought, you know, I almost can't read this anymore. I mean, it's, you have to really be careful when you read the Song of Songs because it, it's an intense picture of physical love, right, that God designs for marriage. Actually, the, the channel, of course, is marriage, but listen to this. I don't think you have this. That's okay. It's in Song of Songs 4.9. It says this. You have ravished my heart, my sister, my bride. You guys know what ravished means, right? I mean, you're just completely blown away, utterly amazed and attracted to. You have ravished my sister. And some translations don't say ravished, so don't get on me. You have ravished... <laughs> my heart, my sister, my bride. Turn your gaze from me for your beauty overwhelms me. Okay, that's the man speaking to the woman. He's, he's smitten, right? I mean, look at the passion and desire he has for this bride. I mean, <laughs> I can't even look at you. It's too much. You overwhelm me. Now, where did he get that? Did he make it up? Did, he, did it evolve in him, in his brain? No, it came from God. Right? It came from God. So, when Jesus looks at his bride, his heart yearns with desire and passion to be with us and to spread his love over us, through us, in us. Isn't that weird ta- hearing that? I mean, could Jesus be ravished for his church? Is that a possibility? Could, could Jesus actually think, turn your gaze from me for your beauty overwhelms me? If a man can think it, it came from God and it's holy and it's pure. And that's how God feels about us. That's how Jesus feels about his bride today. It's, it's irrespective of what you did or what you didn't do. If you fought someone this morning at home, if you were irritable, if you were frustrated, if you were discouraged, it has nothing to do with that. Jesus has such a desire and passion for us. Let's take a look in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Yay! For the first heaven and the first earth passed away and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men and He will dwell among them and they shall be His people and God Himself will be among them. He will be their God. What's so significant about that? You realize God's purpose for all of eternity has been and always will be to dwell with His people. You can read it in Exodus. You can read it in Ezekiel. I just read it in Revelation. What does God want to do? Oh, and now the dwelling of God is with men. Wait a minute. Why does God want to dwell with us? ever think about that? I mean, I was a dead fetus. (laughs) Why why would God want to dwell with me? I don't know. 
but it's something in the very nature and heart of God. There's this love and desire and passion that has to push itself out and be on somebody. That's us. Why did God make us? Because something in the heart and nature of God has to put love and get love back. Does God need our love? No. But there's just something in God. I can't explain it. He, he just wants to be with us. His people. Isn't that incredible? So what's this bride thing here? Verse 9 through 11. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and spoke with me saying, Come here. I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Okay, John, what, what, what does the bride look like, John? And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her brilliance was like a very costly stone, as a stone of crystal clear jasper. Wait a minute. I thought the bride was like people. He said the bride was the city. Which one is it? Is the city the bride? Or are we the bride? Or are we both the bride? Well, I think the city, it uses personification here. It says her brilliance was like... So the city is kind of personified as the bride. But obviously the bride is living in the New Jerusalem with the bridegroom, Jesus Christ. We are the bride. And let me just tell you what's going on here in heaven. If you read the rest of it, which I'm not going to read, The heavenly city has 12 foundations. What are they made of? Precious stones, gems, onyx, jasper. The streets are made of gold, clear gold, translucent gold. There's a a river coming out of the throne, right? The water of life. And who who lights up the city? The Lamb, Jesus. He is the light of the new Jerusalem. Okay, so now His bride is there with Him, right? He's the light. This says the sun, the city has no need of the sun nor of the moon, for the lamb was its light. So you got the light and you got the bride. What does the bride do? The bride reflects light, just like the moon reflects the light from the sun. We have no light in and of ourselves, but Jesus Christ in all his splendor and glory is gonna his splendor and glory is somehow radiating, redounding, rebounding onto us, off of us. Why did God make a city with gates of pearl, with foundations of gemstones? Why do you think He did that? Because it would radiate the light. So here's what I think. You've got to see fireworks, right? I think the entire earth is going to see a fireworks display in the New Jerusalem. Because the light of the Lamb is going to be so intense so powerful, so loving, so kind, so merciful, and it's going to hit his bride full force in the face. It's going to fly off the bride. It's going to hit every single foundation. It's going through the streets of gold. It's going through the entire New Jerusalem. And the inhabitants of the earth are looking at this thing like, what? Really? You say, what inhabitants of the earth? Um, the inhabitants of the earth here. 21:24. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into the new Jerusalem. That's Revelation 21:24. So, do you guys realize the earth is populated with people? Because it says the kings of the earth are going to bring the glory of the earth into the city, and we're ruling and reigning. Who are we ruling and reigning over? Well, the people of the earth, the kings of the earth, probably right. Maybe angels. Because in another place it said, do you not know that you will judge angels? So maybe we rule and reign over angels. I don't know. But certainly the, the earth is populated with somebody. The kings of the earth are bringing something into the new Jerusalem. Guys, you see where we're at. We have, we're, the, we're the queen. We're, we live in the heavenly Jerusalem. That's where we live. And just all day long, man, there's going to be a light show. and the light is love. It's not light for light's sake. It's light that is love. It's life. It's the life of God just going crazy. Isn't that awesome? That's us. 
Yeah, I don't feel that way. <laughs> I got to go to work tomorrow. <laughs> I'm tired. I'm sick. Where have you come from? Who are you? Where are you going? What I, what I said is real. I'm going to be there with you. We're going to be working together. Together. There's people irritating you. We'll be there with you, working together for God's glory. That's, that's the whole point here is God gets the glory. So if I could, I, I hope I was able to communicate a little bit more. It's, it's really hard to talk about this stuff because it's, God, you know, we see in a glass dimly, right? I, I don't, I, I can't see. It's like, it's, it's dark. It's, it's uh, blurry. But I, I hope God gave me the grace to communicate a little better on how much he loves us. The price he paid for us. And the thanksgiving we should have to God. I mean, I'm hoping now you guys have been refreshed a little bit. And as you leave here, where it's going to hit you, as soon as you get in that car and you go home, it's going to be like this never even happened. You're going to have to stir this up. Okay, read Revelation again. Read about the New Jerusalem. Read Paul's letters to the Corinthians again. Read about the Bride of Christ. Keep it stirred up and say, you know, God, this is who I am. This is who I am. I'm tired of wallowing in this misery and complaining, God. I'm tired of always being down and discouraged. God, that's not who I am. I'm your bride. I've got a job to do. Holy Spirit, help me. We have the victory. Thank you for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com, contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net, or call us at 434-847-4796. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.